Welcome to Cover to Cover with Javelin. This is Javelin's Bistro, and I'm here with you every third Wednesday, and I will be with you also on the fifth Wednesday of this month, and I'll be knocking on one of my co-workers' doors, Jack Foley. I want to see what he's up to. Today, I want to bring you a, another special show. All, I like to think of all the shows we present to you on KPFA are special because we take the time to try to uh, hear the things that you appreciate as our listening audience. And so a person I know first as a stand-up comedian, some of you may know her, but, um, her name is uh, Cindy Rella, and she's a stand-up comedian here in the Bay Area. I met her at uh, Kimball's when it was open in Emeryville, and now she's up in Sacramento doing her stuff. And so she has written her first uh, body of literary work, and she's going to be giving away two books to you. So I'm going to give you that number now, but just hold tight for you call and get your free book. I'm just going to give you the number to write it down because uh, I know we love some free. <laughs> but the number that you're going to call, but first listen to her, listen to her do excerpts of the book and then decide if you want it just because it's free. You don't want that tiger in your backyard. Tell me, what am I going to do now? But the number you're going to call is going to be 510-848-4425. And the name of her literary work is called the Bitter Bitch Chronicles. It's life with difficult co-workers. So if you don't be guilty, if you feel like you work with some people, that you sit in traffic all morning and you go to work and a lot of your thoughts is about some bitter person that you got to deal with or you are enthusiastic to go to work and you don't care about traffic. Because you know you are wearing the crown of the bitter bitch and you're about to make everybody's life miserable. So welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm good. How are you, John? <laughs> I'm doing good. Long time no see. We've Long we have. on the phone, but we haven't seen each other in a while. I know, and now we're here together. So first question to you is the Bitter Bitch Chronicles. Now tell us what this is and what it isn't. As you were sharing with me, it's not necessarily the memory of your life or what what is it well um this is not to be your typical dry self-help book um there's already thousands of those this is my autobiography like so many people of life revolves around uh, you know office place and working with office i have taken a lot of the excerpts of working in different places i mean i go back to where i was 17 working at mcdonald's and bringing in into the book. At the time, I didn't realize how that phased my life. But now that I'm a uh, lived half of my life, so you know I'm not gonna live to be a hundred. So I'm you know over fifty, we like that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I have included those lessons in this book. You know, um, it's uh, I frame my story mostly from my experience, from the lens of what I've learned from working with difficult people. You know, so many of us work with difficult co-workers of various types that make up our workplace seems dreadful. Much of the book is addresses the pain of working with these people. Um, I call them the bitter bitches. I used to say the BBs. It has a sense of humor, some insight on how to deal with them. You know, I worked hard to make this different from thousands of other self-help books because it's not really a self-help book. It's a um, this is how I dealt with it book. You might want to deal with it this way. Um, 
you know, with people in your office. So it's uh, it's humorous. And and even though, as I read it, when you sent me the electronic version of it, and I'm now physically holding the book that a couple of our callers will have in their hands at some point in time, one of the things that I realized, and you said it uh, today, that when one fills out an application, it never says to them, never gauges how they get along with people yeah, and if they don't. And so this is for people, even though it's not self-help, to be aware because a lot of our mental health, our emotional health, we take that home to families, etc. No, we take it to drive. the job. And we sometimes, take it to the job. Sometimes it, it develops at the job. It develops at the you job. You know, if you're working with somebody that you can't get along with, yeah. you know, you you get an attitude and you bring that attitude home. Right. You know, and then there's, so there's people, you know, petty people at work it's just like a when you were in school you know you might have somebody who's petty at work who snitches on you every time you're five two minutes late you know you're not sitting at the time clock punching in and then if you don't have a time clock there's some you know you had those supervisors that sit there and watch the clock you know when when you walk in how long you took break you know how many smoke breaks you took you know it's just you have bitter people you have bitter supervisors it's just a lot of this, you know, and I've worked almost, uh, well, I can say 30 years. So have any of the, the people, like, for instance, that when I read it, you have the woman we can spot that's going to become the cat lady. Tell us who's <laughs> eventually, and we, we all know that saying, say she's going to be in the cat lady. But you saw the symptoms, and you then equated them to the possibility of becoming one. Tell us from the book, tell us that story from your work. Um the cat lady, she's the one who has no man, or let's say not, when I say a man, I will say no significant other. She's lonely, you know, so she has about five or six cats, you know, and she lives at the job. Her life is the job. She brings pictures of her cats, talks about her cats. But when you go over to her house to see her fix the dinner for the potluck, there's the cat on the counter. That's when you realize this <laughs> is a full fledged relationship. <laughs> yes, but how? What is? So she doesn't have a significant other in her life. She works. Um, she's there work before and after everyone leaves. But what other symptoms would she display where you can ask? Because does she say I don't well, have a partner? Is there something that you you, can you see say? All is the she cats. bitter? Is she bitter? Um, sometimes she is. You know, sometimes she's uh, bitter because she does not have a significant other. <laughs> she's bitter sometimes because she does not have kids. She's bitter because you come into work and you talk about your significant other. You talk about your kids. You talk about things that she cannot relate to. You know, and most of the time they've been in that cubicle maybe 15, 20 years. You know, we have people like that. I'm pretty sure we have people like that all the time. How did you, how was your relationship with um, the cat lady or the cat ladies of your professional career? Like, what did they rub you the wrong way and how did they do that? Were they your supervisor, co-worker, or did you have to supervise them? What was the... I know, I, I said in here I never became a supervisor because I, I never wanted that responsibility to come to work and have to supervise somebody. I got kids at home. I supervise them. 
24-7, you know. Then I got to come to work and supervise the other people. Because, you know, some people come to work and they act just like your kids. You be wanting to go over there and slap their hand. Pow, you know. Right. Type in what I told you to do. But you can't display violence in the workplace. No, that wouldn't make, that's <laughs> not a healthy thing. Thank goodness. That so is one thing get you can get fired for. Did you get along with the cat lady? I got along with the cat lady. I've had several cat ladies because I've had several jobs. My uh, routine mostly was when I got tired of a job, I would just transfer because I worked for the state. So you could transfer everywhere. I've worked for the Franchise Tax Board. I worked for DMV. I worked for Industrial Relations. I worked for Caltrans. I worked for, I can say, about five or six different state agencies. I worked for EDD. I just got up and just said, okay, this was enough, and I would just change jobs. Um, the cat lady is mostly in any any job you have. This the, One of the cat ladies I can remember was the lady at DMV, and she was, um, she was all right, you know. She was a nice-spirit lady, uh, Caucasian. That has nothing to do with cats, but, you know, she was Caucasian, and she had about, whoo, she said she had six cats, but she had her cubicles was full of cats. She would tell you about how this cat, Randy, died, and this cat, um, one of her kittens got on the roof. They had to call the fire department. I'm like, you are wasting my tax dollars to get your kitten off of the roof. What do you say to people who actually, actually see their pets? as their family and that they think let's just say that that's well worth the spending of tax dollars and because this is cats have spirits and or animals yeah you're right you're right. right but she sounds like she she was one of the people in the, your book that you could actually be cool with but what about the one character where you started in your book you talk about you started a new career a new position and you didn't realize that you was working with a crackhead. Oh. <laughs> and you finally got wind of it hundreds of dollars later. Yeah. And it came out of your pocket. That, that Tell was... us about that story. Oh, wow. And for also listening, you're listening <laughs> to an interview with Jalvin Richards on KPFA. And I'm talking to Cindy Rella. She's a stand-up comedian here in the Bay Area. And the uh, name of her book is called The Bitter Bitch Chronicles Life with Difficult Coworkers. And she wrote it. It's a, it's a fun book sharing her experience so if you like a fun read and you happen to work or know people who work in spaces that she's talking about that would like to sit back and reflect in a positive way about the journey <laughs> uh, then uh, give a call at 510 you can call now 848-2544 uh, for the books okay um Connie the Crackhead. The, I must say the names have been changed to protect the innocent. I, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I hope so. I didn't realize this lady was a crackhead. Because I was new on the job. And, you know, she was my supervisor. Mm-hmm. You know, but she was a slender, well-dressed, Afro-American woman. I must say. And I kind of looked up with her. I was like, hey, this, you know, she's she's got it going on. She's a supervisor here. It was at DMV. So if somebody does some research, they could probably find oh, out who no. she Oh, no. Don't uh, do but- research. <laughs> no, leave, leave Connie. Connie's, hopefully she's recovered. And, uh, well, last time I saw her, she was a little fatter than, you know. Right. So she might have recovered. Right. But, uh, 
Gosh, would you consider her bitter or just an or an addict or the two are intertwined together? Intertwined together. Okay. Because I didn't know she was a crackhead. Right. I have I was I had been working maybe about six months or so on the job. You know, and, and nobody sometimes we don't spread the news about the other we don't gossip about our supervisors until it's too late. You know, every now and then you have you you always find somebody who has the office, office gossip. I hadn't found that person yet. So uh, when we got paid, I wasn't a regular employee. I was uh, I worked for the state, so I was what you call intermittent. If people work for the state, they know what that is. So my check does not come on payday. My check comes after I've worked. So I got paid around the fifteenth. And so they got paid on the first. You know, their check was is paid up to the day they work. Yeah. So when my check came in on the fifteenth, uh, guy he asked me to borrow some money. You know, she saw she saw my check because she was a supervisor. I was like, okay, you know, here you go. Here's what you need three hundred dollars. Here's three hundred dollars. Uh, you know, um, I know where you work. I'll get my money back on the first, which was only like fifteen days away because I got paid on the fifteenth. Then later on, somebody said, "Did you did you loan her some money?" I said, "Yeah, what's 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 the problem?" They said, "Girl, she a crackhead." I said, "What?" She said, "Yeah, girl, she a crackhead. You gave her three hundred dollars. She ain't gonna be in the rest of this week." And this was like a Wednesday. She didn't show up Thursday. She didn't show up Friday. And when I seen her on Monday, her eyes was like bloodshot red, and I was like, "Oh Lord, I didn't know there was functioning." Crackheads, you know, they actually get up, dress, go to work, function, and do their whole thing. But when payday comes around, they disappear. So you know? she would disappear. Sounds like yeah. So and so, in terms of the bitterness, what um, what did you find just a day to day, moment to moment, within the time frame of being there? The bitterness. How did it? How did it act itself out? Well, at DMV, I worked. At, I started working at for the state, and I worked at DMV. The bitterness played both ways it played on the phone and it played with the customers you know because we had that appointment system where you would have to call in and make an appointment and it was like calling in to a radio station okay nobody would answer the phone and when you would get an appointment it would be like two weeks ahead of time and people was mad i need to just come down there and sit there was no happy people so the whole atmosphere was full of bitter people. The whole atmosphere and was full of bitter Yeah, I think people. a lot of our listeners, KPFA listeners, will understand the bitterness one has when they have to deal with the DMV. The DMV? It's just the way the, you know, the system is, is chronically... Uh, Broken in that the there's simplicity is not going to be one of the words that's going to come up. Uh, you never see nobody happy in there. Do you think any of your uh, co-workers consider you as a bitter uh, employee, co-worker? They might see me as a bitter employee. I'm not going to say I was... Um, Exempt from being bitter a couple times, you know. There's, there's couple always times in your career. Just a two. <laughs> Come on, sin, <laughs> sin. No, zero. no, no. Because see, <laughs> my on. thing was when I didn't like the job, I changed jobs because the state allows you to. Yeah, do that. they let you transfer. I wouldn't sit there and be and complain about the job, complain about the boss, complain about this, complain about that. I would change jobs. So bitter people complain a lot, but there's no real uh, action, no proactive activities happen to change the um, Beyonce atmosphere. Well, if you notice, a lot of the people that are bitter, they stay in the same job. 
you know, they don't move. They don't try to uh, go up, you know. They don't try to promote. They don't try to transfer. They don't try to change their scene. And that's what really makes them bitter. Because you need to change the atmosphere. If you sit there and at the same place, the same time, all the time, you, you, you get bored. You know? And then you start thinking of the negative. You don't think about the positive things when you're sitting in the same place all the time. You're like, oh, this is a great place. And then you start saying, why don't they wash the windows? They don't never have window washers. Why I got to sit in this cubicle? These chairs are bad. You know, it's just... Uh, so those are some of the language of the bitter folks at work. But the good news is, is that the way the job market is now, a lot of people working from home, yes, people yes, are, yes. don't look at work as a temporary retirement kind of, I'm going to work 20, 30 years, et cetera, and then retire. Uh, but they're sort of, it, it has shifted, it's shaped itself differently, which is hopefully, because a lot of people have admittedly said that their work made them miserable, wasn't satisfying, and it sounds like in true, this book true, you're doing, true. in the Bitter Bitch Chronicles, you're actually looking at that reality from a very fun place, and you had the, the option of being able to do stand-up to balance it. But let's talk about part of the book that's, that in your life that that was not as pleasant for you. None of it was pleasant, but you turned it into comedy, and that's the, the gift you give yourself. Yes. Is that you having, uh, sustaining an injury and dealing with disability? What was that like? Well, um... Which a lot of our listeners understand that. Well, the disability system, you know, everybody talks about it's broken, and I've... Uh, I've really experienced that part where it it really is probably broken, you know, and I, I tend to agree with it because, you know, all our lives we pay into disability, Social Security disability is supposed to be there until for you, us. Until you become disabled. Until you become disabled. Yeah. Can you read something from the book um, and what chapter and what page is this going to be let's for Let's see. Let's talk about the disability chapter. Okay. And you're listening to Cindy Rella from her body of work, The Bitter Bitch Chronicles, Life with Difficult Co-Workers on KPFA, which uh, <laughs> Okay, I'm going to um, read from um, page 84 in the disability chapter. It's uh, like, it goes, uh, most disabilities that prevent people from working full time do not develop in a single day. Occasionally, people get into accidents that clearly makes them disabled for the job. You work on a construction site and there's an accident where you crush your arm, has to be amputated. That is a clear-cut case of being disabled in a construction trade. At least you might think so. The more I try and work with disability insurance, the more conspicuous they appear to be. Take the construction worker with the amputated arm. By all reasonable understanding, the worker has lost primarily bodily function necessary to perform their job. Disability insurance has a well-known practice that they reject more than 99% of all claims on their first attempt. This has nothing to do with the large number of legitimate claims being filed, submitted. Instead, it's the bureaucracy tricked of frustrated people and get them to stop asking for benefits. Bureaucracy banks on you getting frustrated with an overwhelming amount of stupidity and opting to walk away. This creates the sad state where you have to tap deep into your inner bitter bitch to even make a dent into getting what you have earned. So are you saying that there's a reward to becoming a bitter bitch? In the disability system, yes. (laughs) 
you know. That's all right. Like I said, I, I, on, in here I said, you know, I've worked almost 30 years. Yeah. And I've paid into disability. Yeah. And I got over 50 and I hurt my back and I couldn't. I mean, I, I had to go into surgery because I couldn't walk. And I didn't realize what it was, but it was a nerve that was uh, crushed by some of my back. And it went down, you know, the uh, backbone is collected to the neck, blah, 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 that, uh, that That's true. Okay. okay. So the nerve was pinching, on, was, and my back was pinching on my leg. And I couldn't walk. And, and this, you know, they had to do back surgery on me. Okay. And... I finally got was able to walk like about a week later or two later. I actually Kaiser actually sent somebody to my house, so you know I had to be hurt because Kaiser don't send nobody to your house. <laughs> Kaiser is cheap. I had Kaiser, yes, I did have Kaiser. I love Kaiser, but they actually sent me a at home aid. This is how hurt I was, and I had to stay up the stairs or down the stairs. I couldn't back, go back and forth, and so when I applied for disability, of course, they said no. You're, you you can get back and, and work. And when I went to the judge, I, I knew right away that this just was not going to give me disability. He looked like Java the Hutt sitting up there, and he was fat and just, just like, he looked at me and it was like, oh, no. And then I looked up his statistics. His statistics was one of the lowest ones in the state. He only approved like 16% of his cases. I'm like, God. What do you have to do? Walk in there? I mean, you can't walk in there because obviously, and he would ask me questions like, if you drop your glasses, who picks them up? I was like, if I could see, I'd pick them up, you know? I'm not saying that I'm totally disabled. I'm just saying I cannot work eight hours a day, five days a week, 40 hours a day. It was just, I couldn't do it, you know? I would, I could do it, but I'd be high on drugs and I'd probably get fired, you know, because every three or four hours I have to go take a pain pill it's, it's too much when you get older you just your body just gets tired so you're so the that system itself has a system in place it Correct. sounds like that it denies everybody first go round and then that eliminate or try they try to weed out the ones who are just trying to get disability thinking oh I can go through these changes and then you literally have to become well I guess it triggers you, you off a certain amount of anger. anger. Yeah, you have anger. to become angry or you you give up. Yeah. So and that's what, what was, they what was it like for you? Hey, there you are, you've been working since you're your teens, mm -hmm. you have a family, uh, you're a stand-up comedian, and now you have crushed something in your back that's, uh, that's brought you to the world of disabilities. So what did that picture look like for you? That picture looked pretty grim for me. The only way I was able to survive it is I, I have worked like 30 years. Mm -hmm. So I had savings. You know, and my savings, I slowly, you know, I had a 401k, I have a retirement plan, I have other things there where I have saved money over the past 30 years. So those helped me get through to where I am. Now I'm um, living on my retirement, which is really very little because I didn't retire when I'm 60 or 70, whenever, whatever age you're supposed to be to get your full amount of retirement. You took early retirement. Yeah, I took an early retirement. And so it's like, you know, I'm I'm barely making it. Now I have a roommate and other people to help me pay the rent. But, you know, it's not um, 
It's not easy. If you so, get hurt, you're you're in, a, in for a ride unless you can uh, prove that you're going to die soon. That's the only way they're going to give you your disability. So t- tell us this old, these are some pretty heavy topics that we're talking about. But you've taken these topics, topics and you've bedded them in some humor inside yes. and to, uh, medicine so it's like he's like oh, here's the medicine and it's going to make you better we hope uh, but the medicine is really nasty and this is not a self help book but it is a book that's going to give you just a, a chance to sit back and look out at the people you work with and see them through maybe some truer eyes or less bitter or just have a little bit more compassion what what made you decide to use humor as a platform for the stories? And they're heavy stories. Well, that's because some I'm of a them stand-up comedian. I have to incorporate some of this in there. And I didn't want to make a book that, you know, you're going to write and somebody's going to be like, oh, this is so dry and blah, blah, blah. I wanted to make it a fast read and a humorous read. Because why because was it important? That that catches the uh, reader's eye. Okay. Some people don't want to read a long War and Peace novel, you know, or a Harry Potter novel. You know, they just want to read something that's funny that'll get them through the day and think about the jokes and something that they can compare to. You know, most of us had jobs. Well, we should have had a job. We, we it's not even about jobs. Somewhere we've interacted with somebody. Who's been bitter, and you wonder like, you what did I do? At the top of the, uh, our time speaking, you said this could be in a classroom where you're sitting in a class, and there, and you, there's people who I know. One of my pet peeves is that what cla- is it? What is up it? about to share? Oh, well, share me! Right, the, <laughs> the class has been long and drawn out. And somebody asks questions, and, to me, and the and the instructor <laughs> who has taken you down boredom lane. Drug you through mundaneness, and then they say, and the hours there, you've already packed your stuff up, ready to hit the dough. Uh, and, and someone says, and, and the teacher says, "Is there, there any, any questions?" questions? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody raise their hand. Excuse and every, me. And I literally have broken a fingernail just to get just to to contain what I felt in my moment. Just break the nail off and say, "Okay," because that's a lot. And then when the teacher gives the answer, it's a long winded answer, and you need to get your yeah. backpack back right. open and open up your notebook right. Get your, and yeah. write what he's Take saying. Take your, your laptop out and keep it going. And then the second thing they say, well, is it, so does that satisfy your answer? Say, well, yeah, but. And so, yeah. That's so one so of, everyone that's has one been your, in those environments. pet peeves. And that's one of my pet peeves. And, and so that when I I'm an instructor at different uh, colleges at different times on contracts. So I make I try to make my I try to pay real close attention to how I move the energy in the classroom. Try to read the body language, understand there. So this book here in our last few minutes together, who, who that you have worked with that that in your memory bank that was new coming in that you would have said. Here, take this and read it. Day one, this is this this is a present from me. Just read it because it's a quick read. It's a quick read. It's a funny read. It's mostly um, I worked in at the, I worked in the DMV field offices. Yeah, and I've worked in the DMV headquarters. Okay, I would say that book should be good for people at the DMV headquarters. At the headquarters, why the headquarters? Because many of them come in there. And they have, and they, like, I know one person in, in this book right now. She's worked at DMV for 25 years. 
Yeah. Never changed positions. She's been in that same cubicle for 25 years. So she is bitter. She comes in there and says, you know, well, you you had ample opportunity to get another job, but you won't do it. Instead, you'll sit there and criticize the system, talk about the system, push that flavor under the new employees, and, and you that's would, just not and right. you would hand her this book and say, just take a good read and maybe one day break out of this cubicle and fly. Yes, and get rid of your cats. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Cinderella. Thank you, Javelin. You. And I will see you in Sacramento. For at, sure. Yes, at Tommy's. What Tommy is it? Tees. Tommy Tees. And if you hear her out here naming comedy, go see her. It's a quite an intense act, I must say. And you've been listening to Javelin's, Javelin's Diesel on Amazon. Amazon. Right? Amazon.com. The Better Better Chronicles. Bye bye. Here, let's go green. To save money in trees, the local station board election will use electronic ballots. Members in need of a paper ballot can leave a voicemail for the election supervisor at 510-854-9663 with their name, address, and telephone number. We are missing emails for many members. Please help by visiting elections.pacifica.org and filling out a ballot request form, including the email to which you would like us to send you your ballot. E-ballots will be issued to all members with a valid email on file. Members missing emails will be sent their voter ID and password hidden beneath a scratch-off on a postcard. Ballots go out to all eligible members August 15th, 2019. It's 94.1 KPFA. 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz, and online at kpfa.org.